When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Ninja Turtle Power Hour. I'm Spencer Toon. I'm Keith McGuffey. And I'm Mike Templeton. And this week we're going to be covering Donatello number one and issue number nine of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, volume one. We're going a bit out of order uh, before we've been covering everything in exactly the order it came out. Uh, Now we're moving things around to kind of fit uh, themes and chronology. So... uh, that's kind of what we're going for with this. And that's why we're not doing number eight this week. Also fun fact, a lot of the times number eight isn't republished anymore. So really, is it just because of Cerebus? Because of Cerebus. It, it, it is, I think yep. now, yeah. but it's kind of a, it's kind of a fun thing that we skipped number eight. <laughs> it's a neat little Easter egg. Actually, if you were cut, collecting the color classics as they came out, the ones from IDW, the single issues, they just skipped number eight. So for a long mm-hmm. time, I thought I had missed it. It turned out they never published it. Yep. Is it because of like how controversial Cerebus is, or is it just because he's an independently owned character? It's it's like it was a creator owned thing. I think Dave Sim. Yeah. Yeah. Dave Sim and Peter Laird kind of got into it at one point or something, and they don't reprint it so much. Oh, I didn't know they had beef, but. Oh, um, wow. But yeah, like the, there's that's always kind of been the issue with a lot of the uh, volume one is when they get into the guest stuff, a lot of that was uh, wasn't reprinted for a long time. Yeah, just because of rights issues. Yeah, the only I mean, mm-hmm. I know it is that way with Rick Veach for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll get into that when uh, when we get closer to those issues. Um, so I was with Rick Veach, and there's like one other. Uh, but he has one issue that's been reprinted with the IDW stuff, but the other one isn't. And I don't know why. Who, who knows? But generally, if something's missing in the reprints from IDW, it's got to do with that. Anywho, <laughs> after that whole long, not actually a story because we didn't get into it, but we kind of, you know, briefly went over it. Let's actually tell a real story. Perhaps I can best explain the story of my young friends and I is really the story of a man named Hamato Yoshi. All right, so Donatello number one was released in February of 1986, and issue number nine was released in September of 1986. So we're still pre-cartoon, but we are getting into the territory of, I imagine they were probably starting to work on it at this point and get the the rights and everything and talking in, in meetings and things like that to get it done by now because they talk about in the uh in the commentary more or less after the issues in the ultimate collection they start talking about how crazy busy they were getting around this time so i imagine there's a lot of licensing and stuff going on and, and they were getting really really busy so the cartoon is is in progress and toys i i read an issue number number Sorry, I read an issue number nine that uh the reason michael dooney does the art is because they were so busy doing the first comics reprinting like they had to clean up all the art for that and color it and everything yeah so they just ran out of time and let michael dooney do number nine so they're they're ramping up their production of of stuff here yes michael dooney did the pencils for number nine uh and the inks were done by eastman laird jim lawson ryan brown uh and the story was written by eastman and laird uh donatello was written by eastman and laird but eastman gives laird a whole bunch of the credit for for Donatello number one. <laughs> so what happens? All right, should I go Donatello, ahead with the Keith? summary? Yeah. Yeah. So Donatello number one. 
so Raphael's taking a shower and he's he's sick of not having hot water for a shower. It's always cold. He asks Donatello to take a look at the water heater. Donatello initially refuses because he's fidgeting around with some kind of gadget, but April convinces him to go down and check it out since, you know, she's taken in four adolescent squatters and doesn't necessarily have the money to call a repairman. Uh, April does warn Don that she's subletting office space in the basement to a guy named Kirby, so make sure he's not seeing while he's down there. Down in the basement, Don runs across a flying monster, is zips down the hallway to a dead end, and disappears. Don then comes across Kirby, who's using a pencil with a crystal tied to it to draw creatures that come to life. Kirby, Kirby initially thinks that Don is an alien looking for that very crystal, but Don clears this up, and Kirby shows Don how the magic crystal works. Everything Kirby has drawn has disappeared after a few minutes, except for this weird portal they drew a while back. Don takes the lead going through the portal into a strange new world while Kirby grabs his sketchbook and follows along. In this new world, Kirby recognizes some of the creatures running around as drawings that he's made. Turns out everything he's drawn while using the crystal is alive in this universe. Some monsters are attacking some human creatures and Don jumps in to help them out. As they fight, Kirby uses a sketch pad to create weapons to help out Don. He gives Don a grab a gravitic equalizer arm weapon and sketches up a mobile creep trapper machine to catch the monsters. As the monsters are gaining the upper hand, Kirby flips through his sketchbook to find the images he drew of the monsters and adds shackles and muzzles to their images. These shackles then become real in this universe, defeating the monsters nonviolently. Kirby and Don make their way back to the portal, which is rapidly shrinking. Kirby insists that Don go first, but after making his way through, the portal is too small for Kirby to come through. As that portal closes, a paper airplane flies out of it. Don unfolds it to read Kirby's message. Uh, we don't see it yet, but uh, Don makes his way back upstairs. Raph gives him some more lip about the water heater. Uh, Don gives him some, some dagger eyes. He goes into his room, and we see Kirby's message. It's that drawing that Kirby did of Don with the gravitic equalizer and a note that says, Don, life is a, at best is bittersweet. Take care of yourself, Kirby. That's Don telling number one. Oh, such a good issue. I really like it a lot. Even though I've never read a Jack Kirby comic in my life. <laughs> what? I'm, I'm sure you have and you don't know it. Yeah, you probably know. I, I mean, I keep meaning to. I want to read New Gods. I want to read... Uh, I also want to read Commandy because that's like one of Kevin Eastman's favorites. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway. I mean, his I, early I Silver to. Surfer stuff is, is great too. Yeah, I've heard that. I, I don't have... I have DC Universe, but I don't have Marvel Unlimited, so I'm limited on what I can because <laughs> I'm not. I don't have unlimited. <laughs> nice. Uh, Kevin Eastman also did an issue of Commandi. If you're ever interested in that, did I like did that? read that already. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's, it's he's got Freddie Williams doing the art. Yeah, him, yeah. And it's oh, I love <laughs> Freddie Williams art, so it's it's beautiful. He's a nice like guy too. I've I've met him a couple of times. He's just just a stand up guy. I would love to meet him. We'll come out here to Comic-Con sometime. I want to. I'm going to, hopefully, one day. It just costs money, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, Comic-Con's not cheap. Anyway, The Passing is issue number nine. Uh, so I, I really like that this was kind of subtitled The Passing. Uh, a young man wakes screaming from a recurring dream about samurais in battle, wielding a flag with an enigmatic symbol. And then we cut to the preteen Ninja Turtles, which is kind of interesting, in my opinion. Uh, they're training with Splinter, who's giving them different pointers. They're all training with different weapons. Um, Splinter senses something, and then he decides, you know, like, I'm going to go off and meditate. The next day, uh, Splinter ends their practice early and meditates again, trying to find what he felt the day before. And then he finally reaches out and finds who was getting a hold of him and we find out it is a man named Gosei Hatsumi uh, who is on his deathbed in Japan and he's trying to find someone who can help him find his grandson to keep on the Gosei line uh, lineage because the Gosei are a huge ninja clan or samurai clan actually not a ninja clan very <laughs> very specific uh, turns out that his grandson and his son, uh, Kenji and Hattori, are in New York. Uh, they're businessmen, of course. It's the 80s. 
Uh, Splinter asks what he can do to help, and the old man tells him that, you know, <laughs> he tells him, let my spirit inhabit your body. So Gose goes inside of Splinter, who then rallies the turtles to go on this mission to go find Hattori before Gose dies uh, to help him push on the Gose lineage. The turtles don't know this. They're just kind of like, okay, like Splinter's given us a mission. Um, we know they're preteen, so probably 12 years old at this point. So, you know, a bunch of kids, mm -hmm. you know, going on dangerous ninja missions. Uh, they get to the Gose building and they break in. And while they are trying to find a way to get to Hattori and Kenji, uh, Donatello and Raphael discover that there is a assassination plot. They're going to kill the two Gose, um, these other ninja, and take over the company. While they try to figure out how to save the two get the two men, uh, ninja, uh, ninja breaks in with a gun, which was a little weird. Uh, Kenji dives in front of it, takes all the bullets for Hattori, dies in his arms, uh, and the splinter kind of has a weird moment where he's trying to tell him like hey like let me help you let me help you um another ninja the turtles go off to go uh save and kind of uh block everything and then splinter just lets him know like hey you know search your feelings you know it to be true you know i'm your i'm your granddad um Hattori's just losing his mind at this point because he's like, this is a giant rat and these are turtles that are that are here talking to me. But something in his spirit awakens. They do like a kind of a ninja high five. He gets his powers and then uh, Hattori winds up killing the ninja who killed his father. Just just breaks his neck. So now, Gose, or now Hattori Gose is kind of accepting the destiny that was the dream that he had at the beginning uh i splinter wound up drawing the symbol that he had seen to let him know like hey i'm your grandfather this is real um so as we cut back splinter talks to uh hattori or talks to hatsumi one more time letting him know like hey the mission is done thank you for your help hattori passes away in japan knowing that the mission is complete and then that is where our story ends. Yeah, so pretty much he ends up getting like that samurai spirit thing that pretty much puts him into the avatar state, right? Like he just basically, yeah, has like the he... memories of all previous, <laughs> all the previous Gose. Yeah, <laughs> he kind of go. He kind of has that fun moment where he's like, "Where did I? Where did I learn how to dodge like this?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's just what it reminded me of. I was just like, "Oh, it's like the avatar state." <laughs> well, then, like, yeah, we. We like never see him again. He comes back for like two issues towards the end of this run. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He's he's a very very minor character. Similar with like Kirby, like we never hear from him again. I don't know why Kirby? he couldn't like draw a portal out of the world he was. You back know, in. I I got a lot of anchovies for Kurt for that issue. So. Oh, really? I do too. Yeah, I, I was surprised at something I came up with, and I I like that issue. Like I I really enjoy it. But yeah, if you really sit and think about it. All right. Well. We'll get there when we get there. Let's move on then. Second time around. Hey, uh, nice junk. So uh, you mentioned already that Don number Donatello number one was released in February of 86. That actually puts it in the same month as issue six. So at this point, it was released while they're still out in space fighting Triceratons and all really? that. Yeah, yeah. Huh. And then uh, Donatello number one was approved by Jack Kirby. I guess Peter Laird like sent the script and the layouts to him and he approved all that. Mm -hmm. Actually, uh, Jack Kirby was having some issues getting his artwork back from Marvel at the time. And yeah. there was like a petition going around in the comics journal and they reprinted that petition in the, in the back of Donatello number one. So if you could, you could sign it, cut it out, mail it in. Um, I'm not going to do that with my issue because like it's way later, he's passed on and uh, I enjoy my comic books. But uh, it was it was actually a huge huge thing that wasn't even yeah. really settled until after uh, Jack Kirby's death. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the comic comics back then and they're in the '60s and '70s. You know, Mar Marvel did a lot of their creators dirty, and that's actually 
kind of why it was so huge that Kevin Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird did this on their own and were so successful. And then eventually also that kind of led to Image Comics being uh, created was all kind of born out of what happened to Jack Kirby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, creators were kind of tired. Huge, fascinating story. Yeah, they, they were kind of tired of being screwed over. You know, they pretty much were making everything for this company and, and getting nothing back for it. Yeah. And also uh, intellectual properties. Eastman and Laird even offered to like put the proceeds of this comic mm-hmm. towards uh, Jack Kirby's legal fees, but he declined. So Jack Jack was also a very stubborn man. Yes. yes. Like so that that does track. Uh, another cool thing about Donatello number one is it comes with a pinup by uh, Stan Sakai. So we get it's like the first Miyamoto Usagi and the turtles in the same picture drawn by Stan Sakai. It's, it's really cool. It's a nice little Easter egg at the end. I missed that. I need to look for that next time. Yeah, I don't get that in the color classics version. <laughs> I, I sent it through our Facebook check if you want to check it out right quick. But Okay. Oh, that's beautiful. It is. It's. A, I took a terrible picture of it, but it, it, it's a very nice piece. Yeah, I was going to say, I didn't think the giant thumb came with it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's mine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, for me personally, like, I, this this was the first time that I read both of these issues. Like, I'd seen... I had seen uh, Kirby like pictures of him and like I knew about the magic crystal. Um, but re- reading these two issues for the first time was actually was was really cool because there's a lot of there's a lot of good stuff in these issues. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, something second time around that might have dated it. Uh, someone calls someone McDuff. Yeah. I don't know who McDuff is. Do you guys know who that is? Oh, I meant to look that up and never did. Yeah, I, I, that was, I caught that and I wrote that down too. And I was like, that is a weird call out. And I cannot think of any McDuff. I actually had to reread it because I thought it said McGruff. <laughs> like the like the drugs the, dog? The, cri- the crime dog. The yeah, dog? Yeah. Like yeah. I, and I was like, oh, like that would have been a good reference. But I don't get McDuff. So if anybody knows who that is, tweet to us and, and Ninja Turtle PH. Yeah, the only uh, thing I can find is a character from Mac- Macbeth. That's why I found too. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. It's got to be a TV character reference. I yeah, it's got to be like a MacGyver kind of thing or something. But yeah, he he expects Macbeth of murder, and it sort of looks like suspects. It's been a long time since I've read Macbeth, so uh, I I can't remember that story at all, uh, except for witches and murder. All right. <laughs> Uh, this is actually this issue does have the first appearance of the anti grav glove because uh, that gets brought back in IDW uh, in a later date. And so this has got the first time, you know, it's just something that does reappear again in Turtles later. So it's the first time you see an anti gravity glove that makes someone yeah. uh, the gravity equalizer. I think uh, in the, the Out of the Shadows video game, they call it the gravity, gravity gauntlet, which I thought was like a perfect name for it. And they, they always kind of muck that up and say like anti-grav gun or gravity equalizer. But I'm like gravity gauntlet. That, the alliteration's right there, you know? That's, that is a pretty <laughs> sweet name. That, that's yeah. probably my favorite one. It's the gravity gauntlet. Did you hear that? Nickelodeon Viacom IDW. Anytime, <laughs> anytime you use it again, it's now the gravity gauntlet. Also re-release out of the shadows. Yeah, really. Or, or yeah. Just, just make a new good video game. That would that's, cool. Yeah, you know what? Do that. Do it. Give it to me. Uh, something also cool that Kirby actually did have more plan. not Kirby, <laughs> Peter actually had more plans for Kirby uh, uh, the, in this issue. He meant for him to ha- make a vehicle that could uh, go in between dimensions, and he was going to write a crossover that was the Mirage Turtles with the Archie Turtles uh, with this vehicle and with Kirby in it and things. He's gonna oh, that sounds the- amazing. Yeah. He, he had plans for this, which never happened, but we kind of got it with Turtles Forever is what it looks like uh, huh. with the concept. But he was going to do that. It just never ended up happening. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, I would have loved that. Man. Yeah, I would have too. I also would have loved it if, you know, they reprinted Volume 4 and we actually got an ending to it, but it's okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We take what we get, right? We take what we get. <laughs> also, this is the first time Raphael's referred to as rude in this comic. April calls him rude. <laughs> you know, oh. so he's cool but rude. There one it is. Year, it's right one, here. Yeah, one year settled later. the argument yeah. right here. Now, cool now rude. hold on, because I there is a there's an issue of the IDW series where he's wearing a belt buckle mm-hmm. and it says crude on it. 
clearly it's clearly got a C. Have, that's a Ooh. that's a different universe. That's a different universe. This <laughs> predates see, it. Did you see the IDW? Yeah. I have not noticed that. Anyway, that's got to just be an inside joke. But it, it's rude. It's rude. <laughs> we're, yeah. we're ending this here. It's rude. <laughs> I've always thought it was rude until someone said they thought it was crude. And now that's all I hear. You know, I, really? when you watch it with headphones, it's rude. No, oh, okay. When you watch it without headphones, it's crude. I have never heard crude, no matter what. I always hear rude, but you will now. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'll I'll try and listen for it next time I hear the theme song. For for you know next episode. Um, I don't have much for a second time around for issue nine, but it is like I said, Michael Dooney does the pencils because Kevin and Pete are busy with the first comic reprints. They say. Um, yeah. they also announced that Jim Lawson and Ryan Brown are officially part of Mirage. So like that kind of core group is is settled now like those five are kind of the the first round of mirage guys so yeah this is the first time they've ever had anyone else like actually be like have complete control over the art or anything in one of their one of the ninja Turtle books i think michael dooney he kind of knocks out of the park like oh it was it was great really good he did did the final pencils dooney hands down is probably my favorite classic mirage artist Mm mm-hmm it was really good. This is the first time we also see Michelangelo being a goof off. He's kind of like actually like being silly and splinter bonks him on the head and tells him to knock it off. Yep. Yeah. Uh, there's a gizmo graffiti written in the background. It just says gizmo. And that's a title that was being printed at Mirage. Yeah, that's that's Michael Dooney's book. He actually mm-hmm. includes a, a pinup in issue nine of Raphael and Gizmo kind of up against the wall fighting. Yeah. And then did, you know, Mike, did you notice any correlation between the weapons they were using and <laughs> a certain animated show? I was uh, going to point it out. So a lot of people, uh, when Rise was first announced, were mad that they weren't using the quote-unquote traditional weapons. Um, but we see here Raph using Tonfa, Michelangelo using a Manrique Kusari. You know, it's baked here into the blood. Uh it's always been here guys yeah and like leonardo has just one sword and so like he's got one sword yeah yeah so the fact that like rise of the teenage mutant turtles is supposed to be their like preteens, right isn't that what they said initially when they were releasing it it's it's before they become a full-fledged teen uh, yeah they're uh 15 14 and 13 so they're not they're not preteens, but they're still pretty young yeah either way it's at the beginning of their their yeah. training of becoming I, a team, just like way. this story is. Exactly. Yeah. So it's kind of cool also, that they, they pulled from that. Also, they pulled from uh, the Manrique Kusari in 87, too. Michelangelo straight up says he's the master of the Manrique Kusari. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So. And the last thing I... you pay attention, guys. <laughs> yeah. And the last thing I noticed is that it's also the first time we see mysticism introduced in Ninja Turtles. I like, guess the first time we've got Splinter, like reaching out on the astral plane and and doing all that kind of stuff yeah yeah definitely it was it was a little i don't want to say it was a little weird but it was kind of like it felt like generic psychic power Mm -hmm. to me i don't know it's hard for me to do a second time around because this is my first time around with these (laughs) these issues so it's also it's like is the astral plane a psychic place or a mystical place for your soul you know it you, yeah. you can take it either way but yeah this is the first time we see splinter go to the astral plane i'm so i'm so used to like the astral plane like from things like x-men mm-hmm. you know that's like professor x's stomping ground is the astral plane mm-hmm. yeah so it's it's weird to see it in this kind of context because i like I'm not huge on Japanese mysticism, but I don't know if they have an astral plane or if they even call it an astral plane. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I'm pretty uneducated on it too. So that, that's the only reason why I kind of felt a little weird. Yeah. Well, let's get on to anchovies. No anchovies. You put anchovies on this thing and you're in big trouble, okay? I can't let you know. All right, I'm going to start off with on Kirby and the kirby and the crystal here how do you do a jack kirby tribute but don't have kirby dots 
<laughs> oh, you mean Kirby Crackle? Is that what you're talking about? Kirby Dots, Kirby Crackle. Yeah. How do you do that? That's that's such a missed thing. Because like I even like I even zoomed in on the on the beams that were coming out of the the gravity gauntlet, mm-hmm. and there were no Kirby Crackle, no Kirby Dots. So you should. I saw know. something. I, I saw something that looked like it. It looked like they like I didn't. I don't know if that was just in my colored version or not. Yeah, I, I didn't see either, and I was looking for it because it is in the 2003 adaptation of this book. They have it all over in the background. See, um, like, yeah, like, I think they, they probably realized their error. Yeah, I don't know if, like, Kirby Crackle, was it known as Kirby Crackle already at that time? In um, the 80s? I, don't know if, I don't know if it had, like, that kind of colloquial name, but everyone knew that was a, a Jack Kirby staple. That's yeah. fair. You would think, like, that portal they go through it's like the perfect place for it but yeah they just do this like duo tune swirl kind of thing yeah Yeah, now now that you mention it i guess that that is kind of yeah that was that was just my biggest pet peeve about it um other than that like the the issue the issue is fine um i do like some i do like the kind of like the magical whimsy of it um I thought it was funny that he didn't think to just draw clamps on all the monsters bef- at the first thing. You know, when he when he finally figured out, like, oh, I'm just going to draw all these clamps on, on all the monsters. I mean, you know, it's probably going to take you a minute. You're just kind of in the heat of battle, and you're just True. barely figuring out this whole pencil well, thing for the first time. And they, just like, uh, I mean, they play it fast and loose with these pencil rules. Because, like, why did the portal stay around for so long? How come when he drew Donatello with the gravity gauntlet, how come another Donatello? Yeah, I was gonna say that. Yeah. I was gonna say that too. Yeah, he drew like he drew straight up Donatello. Yeah, like so. There, yeah. in theory, should have been another Donatello. Exactly. I've, I've got an answer for your question. It's magic. <laughs> okay, there you go. It's a, it's a magic. <laughs> it's hand wavy. Totally. Totally. And that's fine. Like. You know, it's it's such a it's such a fun and whimsical story that that you can you can get away with this kind of silliness. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think it's kind of funny that like the he he draws like monsters and then like he kind of created this whole world of like barbarian men, um, and then like essentially he decides to live there because we mentioned it like why didn't he just draw another portal mm-hmm. like, all i can figure just... is like that that paper airplane he threw out was like his last sheet of paper and he was like oh damn it i'm stuck here forever oh <laughs> i've they didn't create paper in this world yeah yeah he can't draw more paper <laughs> oh see and that's the thing is like they all think he's a wizard yeah what if they find out he's not a wizard what if they sacrifice him and that's why we've never seen kirby again yeah, there's really like, except for like him <laughs> making a vehicle to go around to do crossovers with other versions of the turtles. Like, there's not a good ending for Kirby at the end of this. You know? Yeah. Like, like he created he just... created that giant that giant robot, the creeper crawler. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And is like that is that just powered down now? Does he not does he not ever use that again? Yeah. It I mean, I don't know. He's, he's in his own world, doing his own thing now. I mean, that's know? fine. Yeah, you know, like, hey, if I if I was the god of my own world, oh, yeah, I, I might be interested in staying a little while. Yeah, I think my only complaint for this issue is that the micro series issues are supposed to kind of like flesh out a character and like really like help them kind of gain a personality. Like that was kind of their purpose, and this one doesn't really do a whole lot for Donnie, in my opinion. It, it it doesn't. I like it, it shows him that he's kind of inquisitive, like he's immediately interested in the drawing uh-huh. like aspect of it. Um but we don't really learn anything about Donatello. He like he doesn't have a growth moment. Yeah. Like the the Kirby thing, like he's known Kirby all of a half hour, maybe. Yeah. Um and so like it doesn't it doesn't resonate as well um when he loses him like when he when kirby like decides like he's gonna stay behind and he leaves donatello that note and it's like yeah like that's a nice note like life is bit is at best is bittersweet like i mean at, at that point like if donatello if, if this was Raphael, he'd just kind of be like okay guy i just meant 
30 minutes ago and yeah. then like he would just kind of go off and do his own thing yeah i spencer i i, I wholeheartedly agree with you and I, i've had trouble with this issue since the first time i read it because of that like if this was leonardo michelangelo Raphael, like the story doesn't change at all and mm-hmm. like especially we know that like Dante is the one who uses his brain to to sort things out. He's the more nonviolent one. He's the more, you know, introverted one. And in this, like, he cannot wait to jump on these monsters and fight them. Then he gets the gravity gauntlet, it breaks, and he uses the gravity gauntlet to punch them. They make the giant robot. The giant robot breaks down, and he immediately jumps out Mm -hmm. and starts fighting robots again. Yeah, like, like we never never see Donatello being the smart one. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and all it would have taken was for him to be like, hey, you know, you drew me with the gravity gauntlet and that changed me. Maybe if you drew over the monsters, that would change the monsters. Like, or like if two Don- lines. Or if Donatello was like, hey, draw this and describe it to him. Yeah, something like that. I do kind of wonder if this, like, because we do see Donatello later on being, like, more nonviolent and more, like, uh, the pacifist of the group. I kind of wonder if that doesn't kind of start in this issue and, like, his brief relationship with Kirby and how Kirby handled handled these problems kind of defines his personality going mm-hmm. on. But I might be reading way too into that. And like, like Spencer said, like the idea here was to define their personalities and that's, you know, you got to read a lot got. into that. Yeah. 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 Like you gotta, you gotta have the hindsight of who the character is already mm-hmm. to kind of see what they were going for in this issue. Yeah. Yeah, and so that, that's kind of like I said, that's kind of my only, my only real gripe with it. Everything else, I'm good with. I never really thought about the whole uh, he could just draw another portal to get out type thing. <laughs> yeah, but I, it's it's a magical story. I mean, I, I think it's a great single issue, and it goes by so fast that you don't really think about those kind of things. But when you have to go back and talk about it for a podcast, so then I'm like, oh wait, what about? Why didn't he do this thing? You know? Yeah, it's not, it's not made to be dissected thirty yeah. years, thirty-five years later. Yeah. yeah, it's really like Peter Laird liked. Uh, he liked Jack Kirby. Donatello is his favorite turtle. He made a story based on that. Is is really all this is, and it it's fun to look at and everything, but it's not great under a microscope. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have I have two two more little anchovies. Uh, one is just kind of a continuity continuity thing. Don goes all the way through the portal. He comes halfway back out and he says, Kirby, you got to come with me. He goes back into the portal. When Kirby goes into the portal, he falls 10 feet. So what was Donatello standing on when he told Kirby to come back through? It's always oh. bugged. All right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's stupid continuity. The other thing, and we've talked about like suspension of disbelief before, mm-hmm. but like Kirby found this magic crystal. And the first thing he did with it was tied it to a pencil <laughs> drawing living monsters. And, you know, and not okay, only yeah, that, that's fair. Not only that, this is not the first time this has happened. We're going to find out later that someone else did exactly the same thing. So, like, what, does the story change if he just finds a magic pencil? Like, I could believe that. <laughs> but tying a crystal to a pencil, that's weird. Yeah. Because like, didn't he say, like, he found the pencil in, like, a piece of coal or something? In a pile of coal. In yeah. a pile of coal. Yeah. And it's like, how lucky is that? Yeah. And then just like your thought process of like putting that on a pencil, like how did that lead you to do that? Maybe it's kind of like, you know, like the ring in Lord of the Rings, how it kind of like influences you to do things. Maybe. It's just like, okay, like that's, okay, but that's, okay, but that's interesting. <laughs> that, okay, but that, yeah. that's interesting. Like that's ultimately more interesting than what we got. Because yeah. then if it's like the crystal is talking to him, when we see it again, you know, years later in volume four, like that would have been kind of a cool, like, hey, like these crystals are actually like, you know, their own kind of demonic organism or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then you'd end up being stuck with the whole, you know, monkey's paw tail. And then you end up with one more Wonder Woman 84 and, you know. <laughs> And, and yeah there yeah <laughs> but yeah I, I just i just think it's like there's like so a rat learned karate from watching his master and then this guy took a purple crystal and tied it to his pencil or like the two things in ninja turtles i'm like there's no way yeah <laughs> in, in a story about like radioactive lizards fighting uh asian people like that's the one that i don't that's that's, Those where, are the two. Those, the that's where i draw the line yeah <laughs> where the line of the sand is drawn yeah. 
You can't go beyond that point. Fair enough. I I didn't have any other anchovies other than that. Like I, I don't have any for number nine. I couldn't really find a complaint with it, to be honest. Okay. Uh, yeah, the passing was actually it was it was a pretty decent issue. Yeah, um, it was it was a solid tight story. Uh, I think I don't really have any anchovies for it either. Like I, I think the only thing is that like the Gose clan doesn't really ever amount to anything from the research I was doing on it. Mm-hmm. Um, like, cause this would have been kind of a cool like way to introduce him, and then like have him come back at in like city at war. Yeah, but that's kind of it. Like we never really see him again. Yeah, yeah I think you... if I remember right, he's in uh he's in another story by Michael Dooney with that that dinosaur samurai. Uh, he's in. That... Yeah. So according to uh, Turtlepedia, he is in uh, this issue, volume nine, Tales of TMNT, volume two, number twenty two, and TMNT volume one, forty six and forty seven. Yeah, I remember using 46 and 47, which I believe are in the list, and I think we'll be getting to those, because I don't think it breaks continuity, but if it does, it's not in the list. Um, my my thing about TMNT number nine, like, I think it's great that they're preteens, but I'm not entirely sure it's necessary for the story, and, like, it seems to be, like, a cool thing they were thinking about, and then, like, it really never comes into play that they're pre-teenage ninja turtles instead of just teenage mutant ninja turtles yeah that's like, a really minor thing but i think I, I, that and that's what that's what i was saying like i think the um the fact that the ghost clan doesn't amount to anything like it kind of it kind of validates this whole story because like this would have been a cool way to show them like hey they have this ally before april mm-hmm. that they've set up yeah. and it's like he doesn't really do like it never comes into play again right and so like the story is nice and tight but this almost should have been a one-off too yeah i mean it was a one more or less it 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 is but like but it's not it's not a micro series Mm -hmm. it is a nice good one issue it does here's my big anchovy with this issue it falls into this the stupid trope of like hatsumi is like there's no time to explain just follow me (laughs) Just and do what then, I do. And then they say, we've been running across rooftops for half an hour. What are we doing? Like, there was <laughs> clearly time. And I, I really mm. think, like, they could have used that time for Splinter to first go back to his sons and be like, hey, I might die, but you need to help these guys out. And that would be a good character moment for the for the kids and for Splinter. Instead, they're just like, there's no time to explain. We got to go now. <laughs> I mean, well, I, I guess remember, this was, on the way. This was this was the period where Splinter was only training them to be assassins. So, does Splinter even like love them at this point? He calls them my sons, at least. So we know that much. But, he does consider them as children, at the very yeah. least. Right, but remember, he's still training them. Their sole mission at this point is to still to kill Shredder. True, true. But I, just, I hate, I hate the like. There's no time to explain. Like, I, yeah, no, I, I hate well, that. I, I hate it when it's like there's no time to explain, and then like you said, like there's been a half hour. Yeah. There's been plenty of time to explain. Like, I can understand it if, like, they had to, like, go now to go save somebody. But it's like, like like you said, it's been a half hour. Yeah, it's like that episode of The Simpsons where uh, the lemon tree gets stolen. Nelson's (laughs) like, you gotta come. There's no time to explain. And, like, Nelson (laughs) stops to get a drink on the way. (laughs) And they're like, can't you explain it? He's like, no, I said there's no time. And he just keeps running. Yep. (laughs) Like that. (laughs) Oh, man. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, I didn't notice that. I didn't think about that. And I was trying to find an anchovy, and I totally missed that. It's all right. It's why we're here. Yeah. yeah I will be here to ruin any story with, with any, whatever minor plot hole I can find. <laughs> Don't you worry, Spencer. Thank you. I really need that. <laughs> Sometimes I have this problem where I just kind of sit down and I just like enjoy things and it's a real yeah. issue you know <laughs> i just think there's not enough negativity in the world so i need yeah. to add to it <laughs> especially in the ninja turtle fandom yeah. no, we're not negative we're not nearly no, no, negative no. enough like those star wars fans they're out doing us we gotta step it up we do we do 100 percent. please understand that that was all you know purely no, joke please purely sarcastic slash <laughs> s after that yeah. outside of anchovies the negativity ends yeah, so should we get on to Gotta Love Being a Turtle? Oh, yeah. Let's move on to I Love Being a Turtle. Oh, I love being a turtle. So I actually really loved the Donatello issue. 
And I really like that Kirby doesn't come out, does, doesn't leave. And the reason why is because I feel like since, I mean, he was still alive at that time, but since his passing, like, I feel like it's made it that much more impactful. Yeah. The story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's why I really like it is because even though like I still haven't read a Jack Kirby comic, but I've, you know, read about him anytime or listened to Kevin Eastman talk about him anytime Kevin Eastman does anything, Jack Kirby gets mentioned at some point. So, <laughs> and, you know, you can tell that he was definitely a massive creator and, and just an amazing creative mind with, with everything. It's kind of sacrilegious that I say I like comic books and I still haven't read one of his books. I keep meaning to. You, you definitely have. Like, there's no possibility that you haven't. You just don't remember it. All right. I, I guarantee you. Okay. Guarantee you have at some point. All right. Well, <laughs> I'll, I'll probably, I'll, I'll, I'm going to be reading New Gods soon. That was Peter Laird's, like, one of his favorite books. So yeah. I'll, I'll be reading that uh, at least. So I really like that whole homage to him, though. And, and I think it's really impactful that he doesn't come back and he kind of leaves that last message, life at best is bittersweet. Mm-hmm. And, and I like that message a lot. Uh, it, it's just very, I don't know, poetic. And it just kind of makes you stop and think about, you know, life and, and it's ups and downs. And, you know, at the end of the day, if you've lived a life that's worth it, you've, you've had a lot of ups and downs. You know, you've had a lot of really great highs and some moments that are pretty bad. And, you know, when you look back on it, you may miss it and, you know, it may kind of hurt, but also at the same time, you know, you love it. And you also wouldn't change a thing in life. I don't know. There's, there's so many ways it's applicable, you know, like, life at best really is bittersweet <laughs> i really kind of wish that phrase would take on like the the with great power comes great responsibility for the ninja turtles you know like yeah like that could be like the motto of the ninja turtles i it's it's a very like melodramatic and and somewhat negative motto yeah. but i think it it you know it's it's a good sentiment if nothing else yeah I, well, I think they actually say it again in the 2012 series at some point. I can't remember where it was, but I think I remember hearing it in there. But don't quote me on that. I'm just going to like start so many rumors about Ninja Turtles on this with me just yeah. saying stuff. <laughs> me being like, I think, I think. Um, but I, I, I know for sure it's in the 2003 series in this episode. It shows up again. Uh, but it's, it's only uh, in this one 2003 series. For sure it's in those. But I could have sworn I heard him say it somewhere else again. And I was like, hey, it's that quote. Yeah, I, I, I love Donatello number one. It's like, like this and number nine are like both really good sit down for 15 to 20 minute single issue reads. Like yeah. They're, they're completely contained in that one issue. You don't really need anything outside of it. I, I think they're both great for that. I literally read them in a half hour on my lunch. I was like, this is. Yeah. yeah. And like, nice, I, I know nice, I had a, easy reads. Yeah, I had mm-hmm. a ton of anchovies for Don number one, but like it's paced so well, mm-hmm. it ends on that really bittersweet note. It's it, like unlike Michelangelo number one, like this is interesting to look at. Like the monsters look cool and stuff. Yeah, happening. It's not just a bunch of snow and crap that you can't tell what's happening. I, I think it succeeds on a lot of levels. I really, really like it. Uh, Team NT number nine, same. And I, I just love like, I love that the climbing claws make a return. I think those are like cool tools. The Shuko blades. Yeah, yeah. I like that they have they have different elbow pads and masks. And I noticed that too. Um, there's there's one shot like where you can see um, an elbow pad, and it's like it it's definitely not their normal one. Yeah, it's got like a cap on the end of it. Yeah, it's got like, a, like, yeah. Like a, and I was yeah. like, oh, that like that's neat. Yeah. yeah. The the commentary at the end was saying that they they use it as a chance to be able to use alternate costume designs that they you know had left in the dust mm-hmm. back when they were creating them and so they, I, they used they took they took the opportunity to put it in i kind of prefer like the whole head mask over over like the normal bandana we get see i i really associate it with a younger ninja turtle because of like this and the turtle tots toys that have come out that have yeah that like I, yeah. yeah like that's kind of become the standard turtle tot look but honestly, like I kind of like it. Yeah, yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, it is a pretty good one. The other thing that the other homage that I forgot to mention that I liked about the Jack Kirby issue is that they kind of they made him a superhero, but like they made it so his superpower is his imagination yeah. and like his ability to create. 
your imagination imagination but like because like that that's what jack kirby is amazing at you know that pretty much was his real life superpower and so in that book they gave him that like he was able to like use it to fight the bad guys and i thought that was really cool i wonder if they even attempted to make kirby's drawings look like a jack kirby drawing they did Oh, they yeah. did do that. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Like all the monsters look very Kirby esque. They got the like. See, to me, they didn't wave on them. To stuff. me, to me, they didn't. They didn't have the hard edges that Kirby does. Okay, I can see that. So I think, like that, that kind of like Silver Surfer Kirby is what I was like imagining in my head, and I, I didn't see that. Now again, that that might be the Color Classics version that I'm reading because we know there's a lot of touch ups in those. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I just didn't see it, so that's why I was yeah, wondering if they did. They're definitely, they're definitely not like perfect. Like I, I can see how you would like look at Jack Kirby and then immediately look at this and be like, "That's nothing like the other one." But like, I, they definitely tried, and whether they succeeded or not is probably more a matter of opinion than yeah, yeah. But there's definitely, you know, you can tell they're at least trying to emulate it. Yeah, in my opinion. Sorry, something I liked about issue nine is how solid the action scenes are like i talk about how digital comics are like cinematic and i finally realized what i mean by that like you know i found a better way to to phrase that um number nine when you look from panel to panel it's not hard to know what's going on in between each panel like in between the panels it just flows smoothly and you can just see it play almost like it's a movie in your head when you when you read it and that's what a lot of the action ninja turtles that like when it's at its peak is like and that's what i like so much about it because there's other comics where you'll read them and the action scenes will just kind of be just random different fighting poses you know which are epic and fun to look at but it just doesn't really feel like the characters are moving as you move from panel to panel and that's what eastman and blair do a lot with in their books and this one's penciled by dooney i don't know if the layouts are by eastman or not but it's just another great example of that Mm. fluid like I said, cinematic action. You can like see it all playing out in your head. You know exactly what's going on in between the panels. I don't think Eastman did the layouts for it. I think it was all Michael Dooney. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it was uh, pure Dooney. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I know it said that he did the final pencils is what they said for sure. And I think, but I think Eastman was really busy at the time. So it probably was him that did all the art as far as the pencils go. Uh, one thing I like is that the Mondo uh, one six scale Donatello that came out like five years ago um, came with the Gravity Gauntlet. Uh, if oh. you got the if you got the exclusive version. Oh, cool! So it's one of the only times that that has actually been on an action figure. Huh. Okay. I, I I'm looking at the. The turtle tracks in the front of issue number nine. Okay. From Peter Laird. He said, uh, get back to it here. This is generally gonna be the most accurate. Yeah. Uh, because Kevin had to color the first 40 pages of the graphic novel. That's the the, the first publishing graphic novel, mm-hmm. and paint the new cover for it. He was forced to bow to bow out of the prep work on TMNT number nine, leaving the breakdowns and the scripting to me. So All right. it might have been laid out by Peter Laird. Okay. There we go. But yeah, I the, the action sequences in, in number nine are amazing. I love that like each turtle gets a full page of just beating the crap out of a ninja. Yeah. It's amazing. I especially love Mike like coming out of that fountain and drowning that dude. Like that the first time I read that, that just stuck with me because I I love seeing the turtles underwater and it's it's so cool to see him like doing something different with a different weapon, but he's still deadly. He's a kid. I it, it checks a lot of boxes. He's a me. child murderer, like I said. Yeah. It's exactly what <laughs> Splinter is raising him to be. And Leo gets that shuriken right in that dude's head. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's cool. It's it's a really good issue. Leo Leo had the only guaranteed murder, all right. Like even though Re- Mikey choked out that guy. You can see his face. His nose is still above the water. So that guy can still breathe, all right? Fair. You don't know. He might have just choked him out. I doubt it. (laughs) That probably goes back to your, you know, you've talked about the turtles having a code. He probably did knock him out. And, like, because that one was trying to kill Leo and had just killed someone, he felt okay uh, killing that guy. Yeah. It's like, all right, ninja star in that guy's head. (laughs) Definitely, yeah. Shoot me with a gun. Give you a ninja star to the head super effective i i also like the i like the mysticism 
I know we talked about earlier how, you know, kind of felt weird, but I just kind of like adding at least that aspect that there can kind of be some, some magic and things going on uh, mm-hmm. on top of everything else. It just makes the Ninja Turtle universe that much bigger. Uh, Cause you know, it's got sci-fi now magic and street level action. Like what more could you possibly want from comic books? I am a little concerned because we'll find out in tales volume two that like the foot, Plan also has foot mystics that are able yeah. to astral project so i i'm a little concerned that the turtles were so accepting of their brainwashed master yeah in this event that like the foot clan luckily was probably never able to take advantage of that but it mm. that does look like a huge weakness to them that like they will just follow their master no matter what is happening no matter how many buildings they have to run over for <laughs> 30 minutes you know yeah. like <laughs> it looks like a big big blank spot on the radar i was gonna say in uh yeah in volume two we do uh learn how splinter learns how to astral project yeah cool and, but, but yeah like it was a little weird like the turtle like i said he he literally indoctrinated them to be murderers <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I do like that this is like both kind of an origin story of them like learning how to kill people and it's not just like a rehash of what we know already. You know, I think we need to. I think we need to know: is this their? Are these their first kills? I or we not, don't or know. not? Yeah, like we don't know what their first kills were. True. They don't seem to like make a big deal of going above ground, and they seem to know what they're doing pretty well, which makes me think it's not their first time. Yeah, or at least the first time out, but like their yeah, first kills. Know. I think that's a question that Kevin Eastman needs to answer. Yes. Get him, get him old, on the line. Let's... How old were they when they first, when they killed their first person? And how. And how. <laughs> Turns out it was just like, you know, all an accident. Raph like drops his sigh and it just falls into a yeah. guy's artery and his neck. Like, like eating a banana peel on the side of the building, tosses it, a guy slips, yep. falls, hits his head just right, has an embolism. Yeah. <laughs> kill. Honestly, Splinter's I, next like, time I good have, job, my son. If <laughs> I ever, if I ever get the opportunity, next time Kevin Eastman does like a Q and A, I'm gonna ask this. Please do. I, I, it's, I, this, is, this is gonna bug me for a while now. Yeah. I'm, I almost guarantee you that he doesn't have an answer, but well, oh, yeah, I, that, I know, know that's, but that's why I want to put him on the spot and be like, <laughs> no, we like we need an answer now. Yeah, we need to know, Mr. Eastman. I do this for a podcast. You have yeah. to answer me. <laughs> We'll get if you on. want to come on this podcast, Kevin Eastman, we'd love to have you answer this. Absolutely, absolutely. Oh yeah, no, I, w- I would love to have anyone that works on Ninja Turtles <laughs> at all on here. Like, get me, get me Freddie Williams, get me Kevin Eastman, get me, get me Ben Bishop, Tom Waltz, Sophie Campbell, like anyone that's worked on the shows. If they want to be on here, I'm 100 open to having them on the podcast. Find us on day. Facebook. <laughs> Find us. Yeah, they're totally listening for sure. I'll get them on. <laughs> Good issues, man. I, yeah. I know these are kind of disjointed. They're kind of like the leftovers of volume one that aren't, that don't like slot into a story very well, but they both turned out to be really good. I really like them. Yeah. No, they're, they're really solid issues. Like I said, like the reason why these two ended up being the ones we read this week are because the other ones all kind of fit into a story, into like a story arc. And these two were just kind of there. <laughs> yeah. So we read these ones and then next week we'll have kind of a mini story arc and same with, well, not next week, but in two weeks and the next time we read all these. Yeah. What, what are we doing next week, Spencer? Next week, we'll talk about what we're doing next week after we hear and have some quick Channel 6 news because there's some news, big news coming on this week. Do, 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 do. This is April O'Neil of Channel 6. I always forget the news because I'm so out of the loop on it. <laughs> That's all right, because it's been a wild week for news. Uh, so this week we got the official confirmation that the Rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie is coming to Netflix uh, sometime in 2021. And I am personally very stoked for that. Yeah, the bad guys are going to be, they're calling them the Krang again. They're calling Utrams Krang. Maybe there's going to have good Utrams again. I don't know. We'll see. You know, but, uh, it, they're gonna it's... Be the it's weird because like they, we didn't know anything really about 
those about the krang that did appear in the movie or in the in the show yeah wasn't it just like a, a skeleton uh there was a flashback for shredder mm-hmm. where we saw a krang like being give him the dark armor and then we found a dead krang um in the finale okay so the official synopsis is when a mysterious stranger arrives from the future with a dire warning leo is forced to rise and lead his brothers raf donnie and mikey in a fight to save the world from a terrifying alien species the krang also uh krang in this one is 1a whereas in 2012 they were two a's right I, you know what? That synopsis, I would watch that in any Ninja Turtles universe whatsoever. Like, that sounds amazing. I'm really interested to see who the mysterious stranger is going to be. I hope it's yeah. Raph with an eye patch or Don with a trench <laughs> like coat. A fut- like, yeah, like a future time future travel. Future Raph or future Don? Yeah, totally. I mean, time travel is a, par- is a part of the Teenage Mutant Ninja universe. Like, you know, Renette is a thing. Maybe it would just be Renette. Maybe it'll be Renette. Yeah. Honestly, if it was if it was Renette, that would be really cool. There is a there is a character that showed up in season two or at the end of season one and like once again in season two that we know nothing about, but it is such a unique design that it has to have been a character that they were teasing. And some of the writers have kind of teased that the turtles weren't the only mutants that Baron Jackson had created. Uh, he used, you know, Lujitsu Hamato Yoshi's DNA for a lot of other creatures. So, or a lot of other mutants that he was going to make. So, I don't know, I'm kind of interested to see who this mysterious stranger is going to be. Yeah, we'll have to see. So, the voice cast is returning um, for the movie. And so far, the only additional one is Haley Joel Osment. Ah, man. Sora himself from Kingdom movie. Hearts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Pretty stoked. Pretty stoked for that movie. Uh, in other news, uh, we're going to dive over to the toy world. We got some official uh, solicitation and releases for, um, sorry, official solicitations for uh, a couple new box sets from Playmates. So they're going to be releasing a mutant, uh, a villain pack in kind of the old mutant, uh, the drill. I forgot what that was called all of a sudden. Mutant module. The mutant module. So that's going to have a, uh, Foot Soldier, Bebop, Rocksteady, Krang, Baxter Stockman, and Slash re-releases of the original Playmates toys. Uh, that is going to go for about $100. They're also going to be doing a sewer playset-esque box. It's going to be re-releases of the Four Turtles, Splinter, and Shredder. Um, I think the uh, I think the sewer set with the Turtles is going to be actually the, the Hardhead Turtles because the San Diego Comic Convention one that released earlier this year was the soft head turtles. Hmm. So if you're a collector, you know what that means. Um, so if you guys uh, want to get this, uh, that one is $90. These are previews exclusives, which means you can only get them through fan channels. So it's going to be much easier than the NECA stuff. Uh, you can get them at Big Bad Toy Store, Entertainment Earth, your local comic book shop, any of those places. And then diving back over to NECA, we got official pictures for the Vernon and Rat King 2-pack. Um, we also got news that they're going to be doing some restocks at your local Target for Z- uh, the Triceratons, the Roadkill Rodneys, Zack and Zorak, or whatever their names were, because I hate those characters. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I think another Bebop and Rocksteady run. All right. And then there was also some updates on The Last Ronin. They have sent it off to the printers, so it's being printed. So it's all done and written. It just has to be printed, and then it's going to be distributed in stores in February. So they have like an actual date in February, or is it still just like quote unquote February? I think I saw a date a while ago, but for now we're just going to say February because I don't have an exact date. Okay, all right. Hey, Mike, how how excited are you for the the Vern action figure? You know, honestly, more than the Rat King. Really? Okay. <laughs> I've, I've never been a Rat King fan. Ah, okay. I've never been a Rat King fan. Any version of it. The only one I like is the IDW version. Mm. Okay. Like, goes IDW 2012, nails on a chalkboard, stepping on a Lego, 87 Rat King. <laughs> wow. Just something about him. I've just never, like... 
he's too weirdly buff and then like his voice i don't like and then it's like he's like he's a scary ginger that lives in a sewer like i don't know man yeah so, i don't really i don't really like the 87 version either but the mirage one and like the 2003 one i can't even remember him from 2003 uh he's actually like the the clone of bishop yeah, oh, they, they the, never call him the rat king officially but he's that, that's king. why i don't remember it okay yeah. he's like the slayer or something and then he falls mm-hmm. in a river and then comes back later is in the same role the rat king has in the mirage universe basically yeah Got it. i didn't even know he was in mirage so hey there we go all right yeah he, he's he's much he's kind of i guess he's just much more mysterious and just kind of like a horror type character and See, I, like the, the I like the supernatural version from idw like he definitely does go supernatural, but he's not like God level, like yeah. like IDW. Yeah, he's not a pantheon thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think with a name like Rat King, like that just sounds kind of cool, pantheony. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know that that does it for me with that one. But I don't know the Vernon figure is is just kind of fun and dopey. <laughs> like Fair. that that one, I'm pretty pretty legitimately. I'm going to get that one. I'll probably get it and then sell off the Rat King. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for the news. Next week, we're going to be moving on to episodes four, five, and six of season two of the original 1987 Ninja Turtle series. So make sure you come and listen and stay tuned for that. Please like, share, leave us a review, follow us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter for all of the most up-to-date news on our podcast and also Turtles uh, news in general. We're at Ninja Turtle PH on all those platforms or Ninja Turtle Power Hour. Look us up. So that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. You guys are the best. Until next time, Cowabunga dudes. Cowabunga. Let's go, McDuff. <laughs>